can we use a little creativity as well as some of our mitzvah money to help restore the peace? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks, growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcasts. We are up to the Torah portion of Korach. Korach, most known for the terrible insurrection, battle of sorts of Korach against Moshe and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, and ultimately against God. And it doesn't end well for Korach and his followers. And they die, actually, a variety of deaths, the earth swallowing up some and others dying through a heavenly fire. The technicalities of that are not our focus right now, but the conclusion, really, the follow up is the Torah's declaration There shall not be again like Korach and his followers, his cohorts. Now, that expression, there shall not be, can be understood and is, in fact, it is understood in different ways. Some of the commentators understand that this is a biblical imperative, a thou shalt not. There shall not be like Korach and his followers. We are demanded by the Torah to not mimic the way of Korach and that this is a Torah prohibition against machlokas, against feuds, against fights. Fighting the wrong fight, aside from being wasted energy, is actually potentially prohibited energy. There shall not be like Korach, you shall not. You are commanded to not repeat this type of behavior. And it's not limited, as the commentaries understand, to a battle against Moshe or whoever is the primary Torah leader of the generation, but simply machlokas, fights, feuds are prohibited. Not all agree with that, and some other commentaries understand that Veloya Korach, there shall not be like Korach, is in fact more of a projection into the future of God describing to us a reality. There shall not be like Korach. This will not exist again. There will never be again a situation like Korach and his followers. Now, what exactly is being predicted that there will not be like Korach and his followers? We know that throughout history, there have been feuds and fights, and I'm sure nobody in Tachlis Talks lands has ever been involved in one, but maybe you heard about somebody who heard about somebody who knew somebody who was once in by the feud or some degree of a machlokas. So what is the Torah just telling us when it is projecting toward the future where there shall not be like Horach, it will not happen again? Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, of the great Torah scholars and Musar personalities of just about uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago, uh, both Europe, Shanghai, China, where he moved the Mir Yeshiva and then reestablishing the Mir Yeshiva in Yushalayim, he describes that what the Torah may be predicting when stating there will not be like Korach again is that there will never, ever be a situation like this one where one party was 100% right and one party 100% wrong. Korach versus Moshe, there was no grain of truth in Korach's side of this argument. It wasn't that he was you know, just kind of maybe a little bit out of context or that he was, uh, he was describing a challenge against Moshe where he just didn't get it fully right. He was simply 
100%, absolutely wrong. But the Torah is telling us that will not happen again. When there will be arguments later on in history, even where one side, probably, if ever you were in a machlokas and a feud of any type, probably your side, where one side will be primarily right, and one side may be primarily wrong. But you will not have a situation where one side is 100% right and the other 100% wrong. Now, practically, what's the difference? I mean, if I am 99% right, or 97% right, or even only 87% right, and you are 1% wrong, or 3% wrong, or 13% wrong, but ultimately I'm right and you're wrong, I should still be taking my stance, and you are wrong for taking your stance. Or maybe not. If there is any ounce of, of, of corruption within my thought process, if I'm not 100% right, that means some small percentage of what I'm thinking is inaccurate. Then maybe I need to revisit that to be able to respond to you rather than simply dismiss your side of this challenge. And it may require certain creativity to allow myself to rethink, is there any degree to which my presentation, as accurate as I feel I am, and even if I have done some type of evaluation to determine that I'm on the right side of this equation, but is there any personal bias? Is there any personal agenda, jealousies, uh, issues of my trying to protect my honor and my self-esteem? Are there an, an elements of the personal that are in any way clouding my judgment as to how to be responding to you, as to what tone of voice to have regarding you, as to what degree to give you some space. And again, in such case that I have very strong reason to believe that I'm correct, which itself is pretty rare that I have rather objective knowledge that I'm correct, but I've done some analysis and I've been able to determine that I've gotten others to evaluate these issues. But even then, if as Chaim Shemulavis is saying, the Torah is saying, I am not 100% correct, and there's some room for there to be some element of error, then that requires me to try to analyze where is that error? Is there any room for some slight compromise that then can then allow you to shift tracks? Is there any room for me to revisit, again, an element of how I position myself, how I present my argument, which will then again allow room for you to come back and shift away from the distance that is currently separating us. Korach, 100% wrong. The one who is battling me is not 100% wrong. And therefore, I need to analyze where am I deficient because I'm not 100% right. Now, it's hard because we, we know we're right. We, we tend to believe we're right. And we sometimes have corroboration that we're right. And as a quick aside, where that has not happened, very, very important for us to realize that there is a fairly reasonable chance that we're rather remote from that 100%, uh, forget the 100% accuracy and being a little bit off. If we have not gotten some type of external objective corroboration that we're right, the human nature factors and personal bias factors and all the other elements that can easily cloud our judgment are very likely happening. And that's why I'm limiting my words today to those contexts in which I have fairly strong reason to believe 
and rather legitimate reason to believe that I'm in the right, and even then, that I must try to revisit, reanalyze, and put my issues and my manners of presenting those issues under the microscope. Sometimes there's a couple who are having it out, there's a certain issue between them, and he can't hear her, and she can't hear him. And it's fascinating what happens when you ask them to role play the other's argument. And he'll start off and saying, impossible. I, I can't even begin to just to get into her mindset to present her case over here. She's just so wrong. And she's going to say, like, he's coming from left field. I, I can't be that creative to be, I'm not just a good enough actress to try to present his argument over here. But hey, guys, rise to the occasion. And let's just pretend for the moment, humor each other for the moment by pretending you are representing the other opinion and trying to argue that opinion. And it's not at all uncommon that in so doing, each recognizes, you know, there actually is a tiny, tiny, tiny morsel of truth in your approach. There actually is a very slight shade of legitimacy and the approach that you're taking, and they start to kind of soften the, the barriers they put up against hearing the other one out. Because as they go through those motions of having to fake it, they start realizing, hmm, it wasn't quite as fake as I was hoping to be able to claim I would always believe this was. I am starting to acknowledge that I can sort of hear why she or why he was thinking what he or she were thinking. That creativity to stop and allow ourselves to hear, is there any small room for the other side of the argument? Because if there is, well, maybe we can meet them part way and reduce the argument by that degree. That's number one. Number two, fascinating suggestion that uh, Ray Friend shares in a, a piece related to the same message of Rebbe Chaim It's the same theme that we are not 100% right even when we're right, if we're in fact involved in a feud and a machlokas, there's a rift, there's a battle going on, even if I'm right, there is room for me to be, to, I have to have that recognition that there is some type of error within my stance as well. Again, even if it's very small, very subtle, but and to try to analyze that piece and work with that reality. And he gives an example of somebody who had a situation where a neighbor kept borrowing his newspaper. The newspaper would come clearly meant to come to Mr. A. And Mr. B was taking the paper and reading it very, very early in the morning and putting it back. And he was acknowledging that. Mr. B wasn't hiding the fact. Uh, he would say, hey, you don't get up till 7 o'clock in the morning anyway. Paper's out there at 6. I took a quickly take a look at 16 and put it back perfectly neatly folded as it was originally, and in fact, I put it up right by your front door rather than further down the walkway where it arrived initially. Mr. A, though, isn't thrilled with this because Mr. B has a tendency to be reading that newspaper at 6.15 in the morning with a cup of coffee in hand. And it is not a rare situation in which Mr. A ends up with elements of coffee stains and, uh, you know, reminders as to um, Mr. A's having been there, done that with his newspaper and coffee in hand, and he just doesn't like that. And he's commented about this before, and he just doesn't want to like stand there and police or get up earlier to police his newspaper or to threaten. And 
but Mr. A is absolutely convinced that this is legitimate practice. And okay, I'll be more careful next time. And for a few days, no coffee stains. And then there's a coffee stain once again. And Mr. A just doesn't like this. And interestingly, Mr. A takes the um, stance that I'm going to buy a subscription for Mr. B and let a paper go to his door. Now, is Mr. A obligated to do that? No. And over here again, Mr. A is clearly in the right that he has the right to say, I don't want you reading my newspaper. What may not be in the right is the level of frustration he has with a very minor uh, nuisance element over here. And again, from a technical legal stance, he certainly has the right to say, I don't want someone reading my newspaper. And I consider it to be damages that he is leaving coffee stains on the newspaper. And even if it's not damages, it's, it's technically theft if I don't want him doing that. But since he never absolutely articulated it that, was that, you're getting back to where is Mr. A wrong and what he didn't make clear to Mr. B early enough in this newspaper sharing program. But Mr. A took the high road and purchased a subscription for Mr. B. And when he was challenged by a friend, Mr. C, Mr. C, uh, A, Mr. A told Mr. C, look, I do lots of good deeds. I do lots of mitzvahs. Actually, I don't like using the term good deed for mitzvahs. I fulfill many Torah commandments. And they cost me some money. And I'm fine with that. There's a cost for my having tefillin. There's a cost for my buying a lulav and etrog each year for sukkahs. There's a cost of buying matzah for Passover. And there's a cost for maintaining peace. And this is a mitzvah investment. Very interesting and very noble perspective. But having that perspective, that this is a mitzvah to preserve peace, I don't want to get to the point that there is a battle between us. And I don't want to get to the point that I'm insulting him. I'm going to simply spend the mitzvah money on preserving the peace between ourselves. The Torah, potentially, as a thou shalt not, demanding of us to avoid the arguments. And even if it's not an actual biblical prohibition per se, but that recognition that the likelihood that I am 100% right, well, 100% we're saying actually can't be the case. The likelihood I'm even in the right direction, that is debatable. But it wants to have the verification, the clarification, and the real strong imperative to take the stance I'm taking. But the recognition that it's not 100% right should have me recognizing that he or she is not 100% wrong. And if we're working with that reality to try to restore the peace. Doing so, aside from protecting ourselves from a biblical failure, will create such more harmony, both within work settings and the home, different social settings, and allow us to be the type of people who, if we are shalom-focused, if we're striving for that peace, striving to avoid the disruptions in, in community and disruptions in uh, various organizations that are caused by Machalokas, disruptions in the home, and the breakdowns that this causes, if we're looking the opposite direction to the people who are using our creativity, use the role-playing, use the getting to the other person's perspective, using the analyzing where may I be wrong, and investing a little of our mitzvah money to see to it that we head in that direction of shalom will be the type of people who are far more likely to be living lives that are truly harmonious and the type of people who will be far more likely to be achieving our tachlis.
just adding a little commercial announcement, if you are still listening, that uh, July 6th and 7th is the Cincinnati Colos annual significant once a year online campaign, fundraising campaign. And if you're listening around that time in advance or later, uh, any contribution and certainly if you reference Tachos Talks to know that we have fans out there will be much appreciated. You can do so at cincycolel.org, C-I-N-C-Y, colel, K-O-L-L-E-L.org, or reach out to me directly at tachlesscoaching at gmail.com. And love to be able to uh, include you in helping us continue to do what we do.